This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, September 17th, 2021. I'm Jason Breifel from Shaw, Bransford & Roth. I'm sitting down with a panel of guests from BGRS, a global relocation company and mobility thought leader. I was pleased to work with our guests on a study, wearing my hat with the Senior Executives Association earlier this year, where we're looking at uh, global mobility strategies and particularly looking at the federal government and the Canadian government. We're going to be talking about those findings, but more importantly, talking about what we've learned since that time as companies, as agencies in the world continue to navigate the pandemic and what that means for managing talent and competing for talent um, amidst the great resignation. So I'm so thrilled to have joining me from BGRS, uh, our three guests here today. Uh, First is Amber Tucker. She's the Vice President for Government Client Services. Amber, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, second is uh, Jessica Larson. She's a senior manager for Mobility Experience Solutions. Welcome, Jess. Thank you, Jason. Great to join you today and really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, absolutely. And last but not least is uh, Elian Savard. She's the vice president and general manager and the company security officer for the government of Canada. Uh, thanks so much for being with us on Fed Talk today. Thank you for inviting me, Jason. Look forward to sharing some insights from a Canadian perspective. Wonderful. And before we dive into our program today, I want to remind our listeners that FedTalk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. The program is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company under a group long-term care insurance policy and administered by long-term care partners doing business as FedPoint. To learn more, visit them at www.ltcfeds.com today. Well, again, it's so great to be with all of you to revisit our research uh, that we did together earlier this year and to talk about really what we're seeing now out in the field um, as it relates to mobility uh, and talent and uh, everything else that's going on in our world. So so let's dive into the the conversation. And and maybe, Amber, uh, you can kind of uh, tell our listeners what we were looking at in that joint SEA-BGRS study that we released earlier this year and uh, what are some of the things that folks might consider in, in the context of that now here today? Yeah, thank you, Jason. Um, I, just to kind of level set a little bit uh, to, to let the audience know, we actually started this uh, process in early 2020. Um, so it was actually pre-pandemic uh, getting off to its, its full-blown start. Um, so what we were trying to do is just take a look at federal relocation programs and it, the connectivity to the talent management objectives uh, and digital integration and, and data usage because we felt it was a little bit different in the federal marketplace than we were seeing maybe in the Canadian government marketplace or in corporate. Uh, we also wanted to compare the intended goals for relocating employees and the perception of any barriers or inhibitors to success. Um, and then lastly, we wanted to search for opportunities, best practices, and emerging workforce trends. Um, so this, became, this has become even more critical. As, as Jason, you mentioned, we're going to look at what's happened Did this survey. Uh, so how is the pandemic continuing to impact uh, workforce issues and mobility issues? Um, just, so just a, a, some quick background. We actually surveyed uh, several hundred uh, uh, federal employees uh, in the federal market, also in the Canadian market, and in a parallel survey going on with our, our global corporate customers around the globe. Uh, we also we uh, interviewed and actually conducted some focus groups with agency executives, hiring officials, and actually relocation practitioners from across about 50 different government uh, departments, agencies, and offices. Um, in addition to, as I mentioned, the U.S. government, we conducted parallel surveys with the Canadian and corporate uh, private sector companies, so we could use that information as comparative data and learn about what they're doing and how we might be able to bring that into our marketplace. And I think that's gonna be critical as we move through this discussion. 
Thanks so much, Amber, for kind of just helping fill in the gaps of what we were looking at earlier in the year. And, you know, some of the findings that at that time I know were really interesting to the group were that some 68% of folks in the US and 63% of folks in, in Canada said they didn't know yet what they were doing um, as it related to the pandemic. Uh, we were at a period of uncertainty when, when the survey was out in the field. Um, we still were between uh, administrations in the U.S. federal government, so waiting to see what the, the Biden-Harris administration agenda is. And you know, now that we look back on this figure, I, I would guess that we're probably equally as uncertain, given some of the plans companies were moving towards um, uh, that have been scrambled uh, as the pandemic continues to play out. Uh, and you know, again, what is I think the purpose of this conversation? Why I'm so excited to have you all here today is. What is this all about? You know, why, why do organizations move people around? How does that fit into their overall um, talent agenda? And what does that mean when we're seeing people really reconsidering their their careers, their their commutes, and everything else that that, that that's coming to be rolled up in in this great resignation that we're seeing out there? Uh, I think some of the things that we are seeing as a baseline for our research, we ask respondents, why are we moving employees? Why, why do we need to move them around? And I think the bigger question as we go through our discussion is, do we need to continue to move them? And, and I think the answer will be yes, but I'm anxious to hear what the, the other participants have. Um, and when we ask this question, as expected, what actually came out of the discussion is that the reason uh, agencies re relocate their employees is primarily for talent acquisition purposes, so 64% of the respondents said that was the primary reason. 50% shared that it was for professional and career growth. And um, surprisingly, only 27% uh, uh, stated that it was for talent retention. But what was most surprising is that 11% uh, of respondents felt that relocation uh, was effective in attracting talent, uh, was not effective in attra attracting talent, uh, which is a significant deviation from what we saw in other marketplaces. Um, so it appears that the government unlike uh, private sector as an example, is not necessarily benefiting from their investment uh, in their relocation programs and just uh, developing their employer branding and those types of things to attract key personnel uh, to their workforce. Um, with that, I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Jason. Thanks so much, Amber. And I wanna pull in uh, Jessica here to see kind of what, what you're seeing out there in, in the global sphere what you're seeing with uh with your clients and other work that you might have been done amber said that we've kind of this is a, a bit of a deviation from how these programs typically are used um, and fit into the puzzle for organizations yeah for sure jason so my role um i sit actually over in the uk so i'm i'm outside of the u.s market but i am um, constantly advising across to our u.s headquartered clients and is you know deeply involved in pulling this research together so the view that we've taken is is very u.s centric with this government um, work along with the Canadian views. It's really looking at North American delivery. And I think when we look at our corporate clients who um, operate in that realm um, of which the majority are headquartered in that region, um, we see the behavior that corporates take in approach to relocation. Um, there were some similarities there and I would say some, some distinctions. Um, so we saw with this survey, as Emma mentioned, a really strong focus on talent acquisition. So using relocation to get that new hire into the, the location they need to be. Um, we'd say in the corporate side, um, while that's also a primary motivator, there's probably a more strategic approach um, with how relocation is used for ongoing career development. So things like um, how to build careers that are going to be attractive to people <laughs> in your company um, and, and retain them. So it becomes actually a retention tool um, as well as gaining skills through relocation. through So through being offered an assignment into another geography, often internationally, but also domestically, um, which will, you know, can expose you as an employee to different parts of your of your business, you know, to learning about how different parts of your business are operating and gain skills that you can then apply coming back into your original role or, or moving on through leadership um, into roles that mean you've got uh, a greater degree of capability that you bring to that role. And that's really important when we look up, particularly to the executive development level, when we look at, you know, board member participation or C-suite kind of roles, that many times in um, multinationals, it's actually a necessity that people get that kind of cross-border exposure. So these mobility programs, you know, where relocation is, is the driver for what's happening are a central part of the talent strategy. They're really significant. 
um, and they tend to drive uh, a lot of mobility strategy on the corporate side. And I would say more so than what we saw in the results in this government work. Although we did have one fascinating case study that I know we may get to in this call, um, called out definitely in our report of where we saw one agency using that kind of more strategic approach with relocation. Thanks so much, Jess. We need to take a pause there um, to hear from uh, our sponsors. We will be back with this discussion on FedTalk. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Uh, we're talking about global mobility, talent management, relocation, and uh, I want to bring in uh, Elian Savard from the BGRS up in Canada to talk about the different models and governance for for managing this function. Um, that was one of the the key features of including the, the Canadian government up against the U.S. government, looking how that works uh, as well in the private sector in this space. Um, and you know. Uh, I'm also interested, Eliana, in your perspective on uh, the implications of these different models for kind of organizational agility. Uh, when the world is moving so fast and changing so quickly these days, um, there may be things for folks to think about there as well. Thank you, Jason. Um, what we've seen in uh, different models is that really there are three different types of, uh, of approach that, uh, that departments and agencies take um, for to manage relocations. Um, there is the more decentralized model where um, different departments and agencies have uh, their own policies, their own processes, and even when you look from a system standpoint, um, they um, manage their data very differently from one department to another. And then there's the hybrid model, which is closer to what it is that we have here in Canada, where um, there are some things that we share, and I'll be able to um, provide a little bit more information about that. And, um, and then other things that are um, unique to the different departments and agencies. And then the third model that's, um, that is in use is the more centralized model where there's actually um, a, a whole a sink of information and, and data where the relocation policies, the, um, the, the services, the, even HR and all the different departments work closer together in the, in, in the relocation services. For us here in Canada, in the federal government, the approach that we have is, is as I said, like more of a centralized um, a hybrid type of, of model where um, the relocation directive that is being used is used by all departments and agencies, which um, allows us to um, have deeper conversations on the intent and scope of the, of the benefits that are um, provided to the transferees. Um, we, there's one service provider for all of the relocations, which is the GRS, and um, as such, we're able to provide our expertise and share some um, best practices across departments and agencies as well. Um, while we have the centralized program and the, and the one directive, um, we have department national coordinators for each department and agency that actually manage based on their own business needs. Um, so, for example, where we have some more office um, requirements in um, administration, then those um, departments will have different types of relocations. They may relocate executives and governor and councils uh, compared to, for example, other more boots on the ground departments um, that will actually focus more on initial appointees and bring in um, new hires. Maybe 70% of their relocation volumes will be new hires. So we find a lot of good benefits in having this type of a hybrid model um, because it actually allows the, uh, again, for the sharing of the information, but as well to introduce efficiencies and um, cost efficiencies and cost reductions where we can make some recommendations. Thanks so much for helping fill us in on, on this model. And again, I think these understanding and seeing what's happening in different places, how different governments organize this, how they work with with supporters and suppliers and vendors is really critical because um, there is different expertise that's out there um, in the world. And, and at the end of the day, the name of the game here is, is connecting this idea, this function, uh, relocation, mobility, moving people around 
that's that's part of organizations talent strategy and and, and approach to talent and um, Jess, I wanted to, to invite you in here to share some of our findings on kind of the alignment that we found in the study um, with, uh, on that alignment piece within uh, the U.S. federal market. Yeah, sure, Jason. I mean, I think this angle was one that was probably more surprising for me. I mean, I would say probably a bit more concerning thinking about how people are behaving in, in agencies that... Um, so we, we asked what the alignment was for participants, what they saw between the agendas of recruitment, retention and development, so those typical um, talent sphere agendas with, um, with relocation. So how well are those themes linking together in, in delivery? And the answers we got actually were 50% told us that they're somewhat integrated and then 20% approximately, so they're only really integrated for hard to fill positions or locations and another nearly 20% said not integrated at all. So, so the results of anyone who's more positive than being just somewhat integrated were very, very low in comparison to those. And, and that really was very concerning because relocation, you know, by the nature of what it is, is involves a lot of investment in people, right? You're paying for someone to get somewhere, you're providing services to support their move and advice in terms of making sure that that move is compliant and that you know it's going to be successful and everything's going to work. And so essentially you're sending money after people. And if you're not, you know, as an organization, whether you're governmental or corporate, if you're not tracking what's happening with that money and whether that investment actually makes sense in terms of your wider people strategy, you know, where do you need your capabilities to be in terms of delivery? Where do you need to be growing them? Where do you need to be shrinking them? Or where do you need to be developing them to? If you haven't linked those two stories together, then the risk is that you're kind of just spending money on stuff that may end up walking out the door. So that's why this question is so important to be considered and, and really hope people look at the results and start reflecting on how can you link those things together? Because I would say that is one piece we certainly see much stronger on the corporate side. And I'm tempted to, to assume that that may be because of the higher accountability culture around costs as it being you know, simply smaller in terms of that corporate delivery, it might be easier to track those costs. I don't know, but you know, that's an aspect we would expect to see kind of cost tracking is the starting stage of that and then linking those things together strategically um, to make sure that you're going to get the best return on that investment you can. Thanks so much, Jessica. I think, you know, that this story kind of shares some of the, the risks of the decentralized model in the federal government. If, and if agencies yes. are unable to connect the dots, like you say, between the data, is this working yeah. and the money being spent on these activities? Uh, and I know, Absolutely. you know, uh, that was one of the reasons that the Senior Executives Association was interested in pursuing this research, both because executives are subject to mandatory geographic relocation, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but also, you know, agencies don't have money trees. They've, they've got to make yeah. better decisions uh, with their resources and uh, connecting the dots is, is a key um, part of that. Um, I, I wanna keep moving uh, forward in our conversation and, and to kind of talk about and, and maybe bring Amber in to, to share some more of the perceptions around current practices that, that came out of that work and, and kind of what it means for what we've been talking about here today. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jason. Um, just kind of thinking about what Jess and, and Ilian talked about, um, I think it speaks directly to not just the study that we did, but a study that was done by GSA through a government relocation advisory board many years ago. And one of the items that came out of that is agencies need to better define why they're moving people. Is it, you know, how, is it for talent management? Is it just to fill jobs? Is it that are vacant? You know, why are you spending the money on these, these types of things? And I don't know that that has clearly evolved over the years to the point where we uh, conducted this study. Um, and then also as we're moving through our current environment to, to determine what we need to do go forward. Um, and thinking about some of the budgeting discussions that you had raised, uh, Jason, and, and how we budget and those types of things. Um, one of the things that was striking to me as we were going through the data on this is that the relocation programs or the mobility programs for government um, essentially have remained unchanged since about 1984. There's been no significant um, groundbreaking changes that have been put into place since then. And I think in the private sector, and Jess, I'll let you tell me whether I'm wrong or I'm right, um, they take a more active assessment of education programs, maybe annually to make sure that this is what our business needs today. This is what we need to do go forward. 
Uh, and I think we need to bring, I'd like to see us bring some of that into our federal market. And uh, Ileana, I know that you've had some experiences with, with uh, transformation in the Canadian government as well, uh, that I think would be a valuable lesson for those of us uh, north of the Canadian border to take a look at and, and learn from. Um, so those are some of the things that I thought were critically important as we came out of that, that study. And uh, especially since the pandemic continues to change how we're looking at the workforce and it's changing so quickly um, that just when we think we have the solution, it's time for a new solution. Yeah, and but that is, you know, listening to that statistic of 1984, the last time that policy was reviewed is, is just like, I, I struggle so, so much to put my, put my head around that. I guess when you say what are our corporate our clients doing, you know, market practice would say review of policy is somewhere around the two to three year cycle turnaround. Um, and what we see, if anything, is those timelines are shortening and it's reflective of the world that we're living in. You know, I mean, this last year, you know, even since publishing this work to getting to the, the podcast today, you know, <laughs> so much has changed. I mean, the one big theme that we haven't even touched on yet is which, you know, we really want to explore going through this data is what's happened with virtual practices. So, you know, we've seen this massive transition to remote work globally in terms of working from home, which has been required in the pandemic. And very interestingly, that has had a, had a big impact on um, relocations approach um, because obviously physical relocation has by necessity been significantly impacted. And so we've seen certainly international volume shift and um, really looking at more critical move approach and so forth, and even on a domestic basis. But what we've seen evolve out of that space in the relocation world, which has been so interesting, is this new concept that has been called virtual mobility. And you kind of think, well, what on earth could that mean? <laughs> and it's really taking some of the aspect of what remote work is and how people's relationship with their employer has shifted where they're working from home and applying that to a mobility concept. So it would be a situation where an employee is provided a time-bound agreement where the location that their work adds value to or where they're employed from is actually different from their physical location. And, and for that change of location to be crossing either domestic tax borders or international borders, that's where the relocation function kind of gets involved because of compliance purposes specifically. Um, and we see that we see that with people who've gone off to, you know, they've relocated themselves and moved off to, you know, whether out of urban areas, there's been huge floods of people shifting their location either permanently or temporarily. And then others who've gone abroad and they've, you know, headed off to Barbados or headed off to many of these companies offering kind of pandemic visa situations. So organizations have had to adapt to this big shift taking place. Um, and that has had a big impact on relocation. So we've just completed a survey um, and a research output from that work last month. I really encourage people to go and access that from the BGRS website if they're curious, um, looking at what is happening in relocation in relationship to virtual um, delivery. And I would say that is probably the biggest change we're seeing in the relocation market, um, you know, for the last few years for sure. And our clients are anticipating it will continue to shift. Most interestingly, from that research, you know, the views that we're hearing from corporate clients is actually that that type of delivery, rather than kind of cannibalizing the physical mobility, they're seeing it either complementing what they already deliver or actually expanding the scope of relocation potential because it's cheaper cost, it's potentially easier to enable. Um, so they're seeing offering then relocation value to broader um, proportions of their workforce. So that's very, very interesting that relocation practitioners being asked to do this completely new type of piece of work and we expect to see that continue to evolve. Thanks so much Jess. Uh, you know this this idea of virtual mobility I had a chance to review the study kind of sounds similar to me like talent marketplaces that companies are have been building internally yeah. um, and want to dive some more into kind of as you said this is a new frontier for, for, for your profession for this function you know, how are folks figuring this all out? I think that's the big question. And, and one of the benefits of getting government industry and others together is no one really knows. And, and the trick is how do we learn from them while, while, while others are learning yeah. in real time to uh, mitigate risks, uh, figure out the way um, faster. And we'll, we'll dive back into that conversation in the second half of our discussion here on Fed Talk on Federal News Network.
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. We are just entering the second half of our show with Elian, Jessica, and Amber from BGRS, the global relocation company and mobility thought leader. Uh, right before the break, we were talking about some of the big transformations going on uh, that have been accelerated by the pandemic, uh, causing uh, agencies and companies alike to rethink their policies, their business practices, uh, how they're, they're tracking information and data, how they're using technology, uh, soup to nuts, changes here. Uh, and so I just wanted to continue this conversation with with the group to see and to talk specifically about a couple of those levers, um, because there may be insights for our listeners as they're thinking about these challenges in their own organization. Um, and, and maybe let's start with with the policy lever. You know, uh, it's it's a tough one that can be a slow process sometimes. Just mentioned before the break that that in companies, they usually look at their policies every two to three years. But, you know, I'm I'm curious, is is a one year planning horizon even realistic anymore? Um, and if it's not, how do you respond to that? Yeah, it was interesting as, as we were going through the research data, um, which is kind of helping us, I think, to look as we go forward, whether it's, you know, it's everything's evolving quickly, but it is a baseline that we can start from. Um, one of the, the things that we think that we need to really focus on is taking a look at the policies and identifying opportunities within existing regulations and existing legislation, those types of things uh, that allow us to be more flexible. Um, some of the feedback we got in the survey was that they're, they're restricted by regulation, they're restricted by funding, those types of things, but there are opportunities that haven't been taken advantage of over the last um, probably decade or so. Uh, one of which is taking a look at your policy, modifying it. Relocation programs change continuously. There are more cost-effective ways to do things that are within the regulations, um, but there's also pilot programs. GSA has Office of Government-Wide Policy has pilot authority to approve relocation pilots. Um, uh, agencies need to make the request. Contractors like uh, BGRS uh, cannot make the request for them, but they can come up with a concept that might save money. It might be more customer experience oriented. Uh, it might uh, streamline the process for them internally, whatever it is, but they can present that to GSA for approval uh, and move forward with some, some groundbreaking changes. So that would be one area that I would consider two areas, I guess, look at your policies, figure out what you can, what you can do within the, the current framework um, and move forward with those types of things. Um, I know that one of the things that we did internally as an organization is to look at the Canadian government because they had a massive transformation not too long ago. Um, and I know uh, Ileana is intimately familiar with that. So I think that would be a great story to, to bring to this table. I'm happy to clarify, Amber. So what we did in the 2017 uh, on the request of the Canadian government is a total transformation of the service delivery model for in particular uh, with the focus for the Canadian forces members. And um, the transformation is um, from um, added more flexibility um, in uh, different ways, in a sense that uh, we're able to serve the CAF members as um, they're going through their relocation in the communication channel that they want at the time that they want. And so if they want to chat with us as they're home or on the road, then we have agents that are able to and available to chat with them. If they want to have a video session with us on a one-on-one -on -one consultation, we're available to do that as well. If they uh, want to more self-serve and they want to watch videos of the relocation key points that they're at just in time, um, they're able to do that as well. Um, their expense management is done online and uh, we've introduced timelines to be able to promptly execute on the advance of funds, but as well the uh, reimbursement of expense claims. 
And so that model is, uh, was a, a significant shift in the traditional model where we used to have 25 offices across Canada and we would have uh, consultants uh, you know, working eight to four, offering face-to-face -face planning sessions um, that would deliver a lot of information in one time um, versus uh, as we moved to the new model and we closed the offices on the military bases and opened the centralized model, we're able to offer just-in-time service and, and support, um, but as well offer technology um, that the transferee uses, whether it's the mobile apps or whether it's all of the information, the knowledge center that they have, um, and as well significant reporting. So all of this data is, is provided to the, uh, the clients and the government so that they're able to view the expenses and as well make decisions on where um, cost efficiencies um, or improvements would be warranted. And so, Eliane, I know from the data that we found out of the survey results that data visibility, you know, and the ability to use data for reporting, collection, integrating it across systems um, seem to be a real challenge across multiple agencies. So the solution that you've put in place there sounds like it's creating efficiencies, a lot of visibility, you know, are you getting that kind of feedback? from the users, from the kind of relocation teams on the other end, what's the experience like for them? Uh, yeah, it's uh, they find because we also have ad hoc reporting tools where they're able to not only use the um, pre-generated report or the pre-formatted report that we have available, but if they need to do, do a deeper dive on data because there's, a, for example, a just-in-time situation where there's um, a need for increased benefits for interim lodgings due to COVID, for example, then they were able to go and verify and take immediate interim decisions to be able to adapt and to um, bridge the gaps that are trans um, were having in the moment um, because they had access to this data and were able to brief and then make decisions uh, based on uh, extenuating circumstances. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure that was off flick of a switch, right, Ilion? It just happened <laughs> overnight. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was a significant uh, effort. It was... Um, I, I would say like it, it is not an easy uh, transformation, um, but we find that the benefits from this transformation are um, significant and that the, 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 the feedback that we're receiving right now is that this model actually works better than the traditional model for the Canadian government and they're very satisfied with the, um, the decision that they made to be able to move to a, a more um, flexible approach, but as well meeting the needs by leveraging the technology out there that is available to, to all of us. Yeah. One of the things that we see in uh, surveys that are coming back from employees that are actually relocating is just they, they need availability of information um, for our government clients uh, and they want it when they want it, when they're calling in or when they're, they're dialing in. Um, and one of the restrictions we have uh, within the federal marketplace is the way that some of our contracts are structured. It doesn't allow us to take advantage of the technology and the availability of data through different uh, avenues for the employee and actually for the, for the agency itself. So one of the things that I, I think would be a great opportunity for agencies as they go forward is to look at what they're requiring and from a service delivery perspective. Um, in addition to how they're structured, going back to that discussion where you've got one office within the agency managing a part of the move, you've got a supplier managing one service um, uh, like household goods, you've got another one providing uh, real estate assistance. Um, none of that stuff is connected right now. So it's, it's not leveraging uh, technology to the extent that it can from the customer or the client perspective. And Amber, that strikes me as so important when you think about you know, what's happening the pressure that relocation functions are increasingly under. I mean, I know, Jason, you mentioned as we kicked off the discussion about this concept of the great resignation, and I know that term has kind of exploded in the market. I saw an article, there was one of Forbes last month and NPR, I think the month before, talking about this phenomenon where the rate of resignation, the rate of people looking to change jobs is higher, I think, than it has ever been before. And, and, um, and as a result, you know, all over the place, whether corporates or, or government sector, seeing massive rates of redundancies and um, and gaps in where they can then fill backfill those um, those spaces. I know things have really shifted to becoming a really candidate-driven market. So people, as they're looking for work, are feeling they've got more options they can choose from, and that putting an enormous amount of pressure on any kind of employer to 
be more attractive, to deliver a more, you know, a better service to the employee coming in the door, to <laughs> give them a better promise of what, what the um, journey is going to be like coming into their organization and ultimately also to work harder to retain their people. I think all of that, you know, just creates this climate of need that is going to be heightened from where it was pre-pandemic levels. Um, and when we think about relocation, Eliane, I'm just thinking about like the virtues of having technology where you could report and you could see in an agile way, but your, your data is able to tell you what's happening in the program. That seems to me like that must be more important than ever to have those capabilities um, just to meet, you know, what's happening as the market evolves. I think you're right, Jessica, and, I, and you just made me um, think of prompted this thought is so we're looking at data, but the importance is not to look at it historically, but uh, forward. How can this yeah. data help you? <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't get the word out, um, but to yeah. look at you know where this is going to take us in the future, which I think is is a critical component of any kind of planning or, or workforce planning at this point in time. Yeah, and to get more sophisticated, it sounds like with that, you know, it's no longer just a question of tracking costs and spend and what's happening, but also, you know, moving into that world of what is the experience actually like, you know, how successfully are we, you know, placing people into these roles and then are they staying, are they enjoying it, <laughs> are they, you know, achieving the development they're supposed to be getting out of the assignment or the opportunity. Um, and I know we talked as well when we were looking at the research around the value relocation offers when it is well threaded into um, a more strategic approach to careers so a couple of aspects of that one being kind of the um, you know the EVP the, the employer value proposition you know kind of the branding approach of what type of experience can people anticipate when they come into to your organization and from an agency perspective I know Jason you shared with us thoughts around that connection to mission and to purpose um, and how agencies perhaps could capitalize on that um, when they think about what the need for relocations are. I know that came through in our research that, that the, the respondents we asked gave us um, a really strong driver around mission um, of, of why they're relocating people, which makes a lot of sense. But I think joining those dots back to the experience the employee is having and helping them see you know, what that purpose is and whether it's being fulfilled can actually be a big, emotional motivator and help with the relationship with their employer um, and kind of join all those pieces together so that the return on the investment makes sense and um, and is fulfilled. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And you know, as I hear this discussion, what, what comes comes out to me is, you know, the the technology and the ability to understand in more real time, if not actual real time, what's going on in the ground with your your organization, with your people, with with you know, the money that you're spending on those things, as opposed to, you know, mm. spending months and months strategic planning and then looking in the rear view mirror to see if it yeah. all happened in the way that we planned. Uh, you know, we, we talked about agility and operating in agility and, and we've got to pause here for our final break, but what I want to kind of talk about in our final segment, you know, how, how are you all advising? How are you seeing folks navigate through this agility and where's the connection? What's the evolution looking like so that organizations can be uh, navigating in as close to real time um, the world out there uh, as possible and learn from others in the process. We'll, we'll dive into that final segment here on Fed Talk on Federal News Network after a word from our sponsors. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of our discussion with Elian, Jessica, and Amber from BGRS. Right before the break, we were talking about uh, organizational agility and how uh, much technology and data are serving as as enablers there. And you know, I think as we've all seen through this pandemic, you know, your best laid plans are laid to waste in two or three months at best. And so, wanted to kind of continue this discussion around. Uh, around that technology piece and particularly around employee experience, customer experience. We keep hearing more and more about this, but that's an important equation here because uh, that high value talent 
uh, that organizations are so desperate to get and hold on to in the middle of the great resignation. If you're not providing them that experience and meeting them where they want to be, they're going to move on to someone else. How does that fit in? Yeah, Jason, I'll take the flag on that one. I mean, I think we totally agree with the appetite for understanding what the experience is. I mean, we've seen that as a trend growing probably over the last two to three years, really. And as a result, we've seen increasingly, you know, we conduct surveys as a standard with our delivery with clients, um, but they are changing shape. I would say the, the appetite of what, what is in those surveys and what are, um, you know, the owners of those relocation programs wanting to know and understand is changing. So we're increasingly um, seeing that clients want to know, uh, you know, kind of appetites from employees that they're wanting to know confidence levels, um, you know, and, and see, I think, some of the challenges ideally before they come up. So we're really starting to move into an environment of needing to understand risks and deal with those before they turn into really big problems. Um, and one area, actually, with employee sentiment that has really shifted in the last 18 months, and it's interesting because it's concurrent to the pandemic, and it's been, you know, very significant in the US market, is this aspect of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or sometimes called inclusion and diversity. Um, you know, the approach of corporate or companies, employers, taking ownership for what's happening in their culture in terms of aspects of diversity and what they're doing to create cultures which are welcoming and inclusive for employees. We've seen that, you know, being increasingly on the radar initially from, I'd say, the Me Too trend around, you know, treatment of women in the workplace. And then again, with the Black Lives Matter, you know, with a number of really explosive reactions happen socially, you know, particularly on the US side, but also globally, you know, we've seen that across the multiple countries. And, and as a result, the appetite from corporates to take responsibility for what actions they're taking and what environment they're creating for their employees has become more important than ever. It's certainly coming up onto that kind of C-suite strategy level and definitely into relocation practices and mobility practices. You know, as a vendor, BGRS has stepped into that space. We deliver cultural training um, as one of the service lines to our, our clients. And we've increasingly been delivering tailored programs where we have worked with receiving managers, receiving teams with people on assignment to help coach and, and train them around aspects of diversity specifically. So we would deal more traditionally with wider cultural application, but specific aspects of diversity. So for example, a program of people coming from Asian uh, countries across into the US and helping them appreciate what, has, what is going to be different for them in that experience to assimilate into a climate where there's a lot of political tension. You know, people are really going through a lot of social change. And, um, and how they can adapt that, learn about it, and ultimately be successful in their roles, you know, given that people at work, really the success of their work is driven by the success of their relationships with their colleagues. And, you know, their experience of being in the community they're coming into is all about how are they perceiving the behavior that's happening in that community. So this stuff is really, really significant. And we've certainly seen a tremendous increase of focus in that. Um, and I'd say, you know, where historically with relocation, and even going, you know, cross borders domestically, sometimes you can have a very big difference going from the southern states of the US, you know, across the eastern seaboard or, you know, other environments, even going from an urban to a rural location. Um, those aspects are really, really important to consider. And I'd say the DEI focus is only accelerating. Um, so that's both on the awareness side and also on the metrics and back to that data point of, you know, tracking. Um, not only what experience people are having, but who is coming through our programs. You know, are we using relocation to advance potentially minority types that we need to be advancing in more um, focused ways to create a more inclusive workforce? So a lot of opportunity for relocators, um, people in that, in that practice to make a difference to those things. Thanks so much, Jess. And, you know, as you're talking about the integration of the, the DEIA agenda into these issues, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, another con conversation that's going on is, is part of the back to work uh, uh, discussion or reconstitution and kind of the equity considerations there. There are some employees who will continue to be able to work from their home or have that flexibility to be kind of a more hybrid employee. And then there's other folks, whether they're uh, on a border, you know, on a military base in a, in a, in a hospital or healthcare institution, they've got to be there on the ground. And, 
I'm curious, uh, Elian or, or Amber, if, if you've seen anything there working with, with your government clients about how those considerations have played in uh, to your discussions. Yeah, I, I just quickly from a, a, the marketplace that we're dealing with in the US as it relates to government is, um, I, I can't think of an agency or a department that I've spoken to in the last two years probably, that, or half at least, isn't looking at their whole return to work uh, policy and their whole uh, mobility policy, uh, but more so their return to work and you know who can work remotely, who has to come into to an office or you know do they need to be into an office? Um, and one of the things uh, that I think is is getting left behind actually is a, a perception that employees, federal employees, aren't moving anymore or we're not going to need to move them anymore. And the reality is that's not the case. Um, and I'll just use a, a data point to, to kind of bring that home is during uh, the height of the pandemic we saw a 40% drop in corporate moves around the globe. 40% is, is a big drop in a short period of time. We saw no drop in federal moves across uh, the entire US government. Uh, people continue to move aggressively and, and for obvious reasons, uh, but that hasn't slowed down. We are still seeing a, a ton of moves that are, are going on. Um, so I, I just hope that the mobility piece of it and that whole career pathing um, and, and culture building and those types of things don't get lost and you know who can come back to work in, in an office and who doesn't and and starting to to remember that there's those that are relocating but also uh, thinking about how you integrate all of those different work environments into a single organization how do you keep people engaged how do you help their careers um, those things and how do you build a, a new culture that embraces that Eliana I'll turn it to you Oh, thank you, Amber. Similar in Canada, we um, saw volumes this year that were similar to previous years with the Canadian Forces. We saw a lot of move with different departments in, and agencies across the country. Initial appointees continue to represent some new hires to the government, uh, more than half of our relocations with the GOC. And um, the federal government is making plans, the return to work um, approach. Um, includes challenges, whether it's vaccination requirements, whether it's, um, you know, who needs to be in an office to, to both Jason and Amber's point. Um, but as well, the, uh, the challenges of ensuring that we're um, keeping safety measures in place and that whoever moved during the past, you know, year and a half, are they, are they still, uh, as they're working from home at this point, are they still in the province or in the area that um, they were originally and what will impact that will have on relocations as well? The, the other piece we're seeing as a part of that, to your point, your, the point of your question, Jason, was the customer piece is um, what we're finding is employees, uh, historically events were happening, particularly as it relates to mobility as uh, in terms of benefit to the organization or the employer and what we're seeing from uh, employees in the workforce, whether it's related to mobility, other types of things is they want more flexibility. They, it needs to be good for them as well as for the employer in order for that relationship to work long-term would be one of the other areas. And as an example of that, in um, we're seeing on the corporate side, and Jess can talk to this much better than I can, but um, a, a push towards what we call core flex. And that's where if you're moving, you get, you know, core set of benefits and then they get this opportunity to fit their family and lifestyle uh, in, in terms of, you know, from a menu or some, you know, dollar amount or something like that. Um, and corporations are moving forward with that fairly quickly. Um, we're not seeing that at all on the, on the government side. Jess, I'll leave that to you to comment. Yeah. yeah, I'll happily pick that one up, Amber, because it's such an interesting evolution. And I think it's like, it kind of marries together a couple of the themes that we've touched on here, you know, it picks up like the employee sentiment and the engagement and the experience factors of employees. It picks up on the need to be attractive to employees, to, to give them a positive experience. Um, it also picks up on the theme we talked about with data and technology, because what we're seeing with those core flex programs is to run successfully. Really, you know, the best way they can run is with strong technology underneath them. So if you think about the administration of like, how would you figure out who gets what and, you know, make the employee aware? that if that's run on a platform, which is tailored and designed, so effectively the employee logs into a service and they can see what's supposed to be available to them and they make their choices and then that kind of feeds through the back end, then obviously all of that technology and the automation removes the workload that that, that kind of service could, could otherwise um, propose. 
So I think like CoreFlex solutions have been very exciting. They have um, rapidly increased in corporate delivery. I think over the past five years, we're increasingly seeing corporate clients saying either they want to move to them or they are moving to them or they have moved to them, um, whether across their whole program or just for certain specific um, policy types. But what, as you said, Amber, they deliver is sometimes they're only offering that flexibility to the business, but increasingly it's to the employee themselves. And so, you know, if, if I'm moving somewhere or you, I was offering you a move somewhere, you would have some core pieces that you kind of have to have, you know, normally those are driven by your compliance requirements. Um, so you might have to have like tax advice or you might have to have immigration if you're going across, across international borders. Um, but then there will be aspects that you can have more or less of. And so you might be able to top up certain things. So if you're someone that has a lot of, you know, possessions in your home, you might need more money to move your household goods. Or, you know, if you um, want to put your children into a certain school, you might need a budget for that. Um, or if you have, you know, two cars and you want to transport or something like that. So it just gives you the options as an employee. But what's very interesting is how that then threads some of the value we just talked about around the DEI agenda. Because if you think about the different like personality types, the different um, you know types of diversity that you're going to get in your employee population, what CoreFlex enables you to do is offer something that is equitable across the landscape of your employees, but that they can then deliver what matters most to them. And in that, you can kind of meet diverse needs across the workforce. So you don't need to design a policy that is going to be fit for all. Instead, the flexibility within the policy kind of caters for, for varying needs. And we found that being really, really important as a big um, advantage for the clients that have picked up that, that kind of service. So absolutely, Amber, that's a huge growth area in the, on the corporate side. It'd be amazing to see that come through on, on government practice as well. Yeah. And it's different than a lump sum, which, which a lot of organizations thought would solve that problem, but it doesn't. It just kind of puts everything that on the right. way. Yeah, it is different from a lump sum. And actually that's very interesting because we do advise clients on our options around those. And the challenge with a lump sum is if you give your employee a lump of cash and you tell them, hey, you're supposed to go and spend this on, you know, finding the right house to where you're going to move to. The risk is that they might not do what you think they should do with the money or, you know, there might be challenges there if there's reimbursement behind that process. You can also run into kind of tax impacts or certain ways to spend that money. Um, and, and so ultimately what a lump sum doesn't do is it doesn't kind of counsel your employee to give them the best value for the money that you're giving them and so lump sums can present a really big risk uh, so we do see risk of that also it needs really ideally a bit of education for the employee of like why do these services matter you know why should I you know get spousal support for example which would be a service where there's career um, support and advice given to the, the spouse that might be following somebody relocating you know that service is extremely important because if you've got a double earning household what it allows you to do is make sure that second earner finds an appropriate job where they get to so you know that kind of value and service is really important to preserve and, and why lump sums can be a bit risky yeah Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Elion. Thank you, Amber uh, from BGRS for joining us here today. This has been such a great discussion, but unfortunately, uh, we are out of time here today. I encourage our listeners to check out bgrs.com um, and, and find the resources, the insights, uh, the research that's available there that we've talked about here today um, and, and dig in and obviously invite our listeners to, to reach out to our guests if they found this conversation interesting and they wanted to learn more. Uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend.